Good evening, and thank you for listening to this seventh episode of the House of Deputies News nightly podcast. I'm Miguel Escobar in Austin, Texas, where the Episcopal Church's 79th General Convention has just concluded its 3,000th official day. Today, I welcome two lay leaders of our church, Zena Link and Scott Madison. Welcome to you both. Uh, Zena is an urban educator, a member of the Episcopal Church's Executive Council, is a deputy from the Diocese of Western Massachusetts, and serves as Executive Council's uh, liaison to a number of significant committees and task forces, and serves on the Joint Standing Committee on Program, Budget, and Finance. Scott Madison, who works in e-commerce, is Vice Chair of the Diocesan Host Committee, Uh, Scott has been one of the key organizers of this general convention here in his home city of Austin, Texas, helping to manage volunteers in the planning and execution of the diocesan event, and is chair of the search committee at his congregation, St. James, here in Austin. So welcome to you both. Welcome. Thank you. So my sense is that uh, this is around the point of general convention when the legislative calendar really... Uh, takes over uh, the event, and um, you know the focus shifts to uh, meetings and voting, uh, and to trying to push through as much legislation as possible before everyone leaves in now just a few days. Um, one piece of legislation that's been very closely tracked is B zero twelve, the Marriage Rights for the Whole Church resolution. Um, This morning, the House of Deputies continued its debate on that um, B-012 and then passed it around uh, 1245. And so now it goes to the House of Bishops. Also in the House of Deputies, there was a lot of debate over Resolution D-019 entitled Ending Church Complicity in the Occupation. Uh, That has passed the House of Deputies, which... uh, Uh, I'm sorry, D-16 has passed the House of Deputies, which would call for the creation of a Truth and Reconciliation Task Force around issues of gender bias and abuse in the church. So that also happened today. Uh, Later this evening, I'm personally just coming back from a a meeting of Bishops United Against Gun Violence. Uh, They held an organizing meeting to continue the work and witness begun at yesterday's rally in Brush Park. That is a very 30,000-foot view, so wondering what both of you saw today, what did you experience? Well, there's a lot of energy um, that came from the D016, in addition to being on the Program Budget and Finance Committee, I was also on the Committee for the Truth and Reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um, as it relates to women, one of the special committees that came out of the House of Deputies. So there was a lot of energy around that particular resolution for the Episcopal Church to look very closely at their complicity in any type of oppression that's d- d- directly to re- related to women in the church, whether they're clergy or lay women. So I felt there was a lot of energy in that, a lot of energy on the floor. So it was very positive to hear that, especially as a female. So in voting to move forward with this Truth and Reconciliation Task Force, 
was there any language in that uh, around the structure, or is that going to be determined by the task force itself? So a lot of that is supposed to be determined by the task force, and a lot of the questions were, how many meetings will it take? What will this task force look like? What do you ultimately plan to do um, once you gather this information? So on the floor, they agreed for biannual, which would be two meetings per year. Mm -hmm. So the size of the task force, the members of the task force, this hasn't been quite determined yet since it's passed, depending on what happens in the House of Bishops. Um, That will then make its way back to Executive Council to start creating that task force. Was... um was there an articulation of like a few end goals uh, of this, uh, uh, this story I, sharing sort of? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the end goals, in addition to story sharing, is to equity and pay. Yes. Uh, more opportunities for leadership. Instead of there's a large number of women who are bivocational, um, and a disproportionate number of women are bivocational or only have a third of a full-time position as a female priest. Um, So I think that those were some of the main things and actually what churches they're called to. So some of the more prestigious or the more sustainable, uh, financially sustainable churches aren't calling as many women Mm -hmm. to lead them. Yep. Yeah. the, the church pension group st- stats yeah. <laughs> really show that. Yeah. Uh, reveal that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Scott. Um, so I got a chance to sit in um, a little bit on the House of uh, Deputies and uh, watch on their legislative process, which is just fascinating. I love sitting in there. Um, I did, uh, I got a chance to witness some of the debate on. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, the divesting from Israel? Yes, correct. And um, and just the debate around that was very fascinating, as well as the debates on the amendments. And I believe it passed the House with an amendment um, that the church will divest from Israel by 2019. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in saying mm-hmm. that? So that was fascinating to watch that whole process play out and watch that debate um, very impassioned and very uh, great arguments on both sides of the issue um, but ultimately the House voted to the House of Deputies rather voted to pass the amendment pass the bill with the amendment so that it was just fascinating to watch this is resolution D019 is yes, that right? I think yeah. it is yeah it's interesting I was tracking this resolution on on Twitter mm-hmm. and trying to see how the conversation was going just simply by what people were tweeting about, obviously. Um, and it seemed like there was a lot of conversation about... Uh, I, my, my sense is that originally some of the language was about a human rights screen um, and whether or not that constitutes divestment. Mm-hmm. I was sort of had, uh, considering investment in Israel centered around mm-hmm. uh, kind of using the human rights screen as a criteria. Um, and a lot of folks were saying, well, this is just a BDS by another name. 
uh, or boycott, divestment, and, mm-hmm. and sanctions, I believe, uh, by another name. So I too was, I wasn't in the room, but I was also <laughs> tracking that and thinking it was really fascinating. Just some of the arguments that they made, uh, one argument that stood out to me in particular was uh, this, um, this deputy stood up and said, you know, how can we how can we condemn Israel for what they're doing in Hamas, what they're doing to Palestine and Hamas when our own country is complicit in in doing all of these actions to people of color and has been for centuries. I'm like, oh wow. Yeah. And she stood in 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 opposition of the amendment of the I'm sorry, of the of D zero nineteen. And I'm like, well, that's a great argument, mm. you know. And then we also had uh, another deputy who called on his experience of uh, internment of the internment of Japanese Americans, yes. specifically his own family yeah. uh, and congregation, saying that this it's this experience that leads him and makes him believe the church should speak up against policies of occupation. Um, and use the human rights screen. So yeah, it sounded like a, it was just a fascinating. It was powerful. It was powerful on both sides, and it was just yeah. it was fascinating to watch. Yeah, I also think it was interesting to hear the way in which um, some of the shareholder investment ideas kind of got into play. That like by investing, one has a greater say um, versus divesting and. So, yeah, it was, sounds like a really intense conversation about strategy, too, <laughs> and what yeah, to do there. I agree, totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's... Uh, were there other things that, uh, that really struck you today? Well, I mean, I agree about the, the financial, whether you invest or divest, especially given that one of the writers uh, for social responsibility mm-hmm was a bishop who is in the diocese, actually my diocese, uh, Bishop Fisher, Mm -hmm. and his exposure and relationship with Smith & Wesson Mm -hmm. and the ability to have that conversation. He's also one of the bishops that signed on for the Bishops Against Gun Violence and has been very active for numerous years now. So the approach of the ability to advocate against something, you have to actually have your voice in the room or have some skin in the game um, is an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Which connects to uh, another event that I just came from, which, as I mentioned, was the Bishops United Against Gun Violence organizing meeting. Um, and the intention there was to, I think, sustain the energy that a lot of us felt uh, after yesterday's rally in Brush Park, uh, just nearby. Um, and it, w- it went for about an hour and a half, uh, and it was uh, a group of, I would say, 40 people in the room, including Bishop Fisher. Um, uh, and um, people simply went around, shared their personal connection point, and then also what they had been doing to uh, push the ball forward in their in their areas. And Not surprisingly, given that we're a church that oftentimes works in a lot of silos, there were just obvious some obvious opportunities and and, um, places where we can connect uh, a a little bit better. Um, So it was generally an opportunity to uh, make those connections and learn about organizations like Episcopal Peace Fellowship Mm -hmm. and 
Um, certainly, we got to hear from bishops against uh, gun violence, um, and and then also hear several bishops speak about how their ministries were changed through significant school shootings or mm. becoming more personally aware of the gun violence that's happening in their in neighborhoods in their diocese every day. I was really struck, and I, I'm afraid I don't remember his his name, but one one bishop spoke about a commitment which he carries out to go uh, every Thursday uh, with a group, a vigil group, um, to a site where uh, someone was murdered as a result of gun violence um, as close as possible to the time of, of day. Um, and through that experience, oh, it became apparent powerful. to him which people were newsworthy and which right. people were not, and how, in fact, how, many, how disproportionately the number of the people they were saying prayers for uh, were people of color and were not necessarily the headline cases uh, mm-hmm. that the city you know, had a lot of energy around. Um, seemed like a really power, powerful practice mm-hmm. um, uh, to engage in. Well, let me uh, transition the conversation and talk a little bit about um, the Joint Standing Committee of Program, Budget, and Finance. And I'll start that by saying I read a tweet today which said that someone thought PB&F stood for Presiding Bishop and Friends. <laughs> <laughs> So knowing that that's where we're starting, maybe, Zina, could you just tell us a little bit about what this Joint Standing Committee is and what is its main function at General Convention? Yes, I I don't know if it's fair to say it's... um, That's funny, though. Um, (laughs) Presiding Bishop and Friends. Um, the, The reality is it is a group that is, and I'm not quite sure how they're um, selected to be on this committee, but it is, and I'm not quite sure of the exact number, but it's about 30. It might be a little more of 30. And it's almost evenly divided into bishops, lay, and clergy. Hmm. So it is a multitude of people, and there are about four or five staff people that are on the presiding bishop staff, mostly for recording purposes and to provide information and data that comes up with budgets and resolutions. And our goal on PBNF is to come up and to present a proposed budget based on the resolutions that are coming to the floor. Mm-hmm. We have until tomorrow, um, which is Tuesday, um, mm-hmm. to present, by noon, to present what our recommendations are for the budget. Just because we rec- uh, make these recommendations for the budget, it doesn't mean that that won't be changed based on things that go on to the floor. Um, but they're strong recommendations, of course. Generally, there's more requests, financial requests, than there are finances. Right. So we do have to make some tough decisions and discussions. The benefit of PBNF is that people have the ability to come and speak on their resolution or speak on the request that they're making for money, and that this committee, which is very diverse across the entire church, Um, both inside and outside the um, 50 states. So we have representation from all over, which I think is good because you have diverse ways of thinking. Um, You have different 
I would say, financial, um, financially, I would say, wealthy or stable congregations opposed to some that might be struggling a little bit more mm-hmm. um, to be sustainable. So there's a good variety in the room to help provide input. That's great. Um, one, uh, I, I was following uh, Bishop Jeff Fisher's tweets oh, yeah. uh, about uh, PBNF, and he is on PBNF. Yes, he is. Um, and I thought that two that he made made a made a significant point, um, which is that while there are uh, there's a lot of attention uh, around discussions of prayer book revision. Uh, he pointed out that this conversation is not just happening in Committee 13, it's also happening at uh, PBNF, um, because with this passage, it will ultimately impact the budget in a really significant way. So it just sort of, I thought to my mind, illustrates the point that you just made about the relationship between these resolutions that are kind of moving through these various houses. I mean, the House of Deputies has passed this, but not necessarily the House of Bishops. Correct. And yet it's already being considered potentially within the budget. Right. Um, and because we're starting to see what's kind of sifting and rising to the mm-hmm. surface in this, in this crazy mix of general convention. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know if that's a comment or a question. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. it's both, and I, I think it's, it's a legitimate statement and yeah. observation of what's actually occurring. There is a lot of discussion about the prayer book, particularly because you have a lot of different opinions um, to the benefit of it and or the challenges of it and the time that it might take and who's the best person to do it and could it be obsolete by the time we get it out given the way that technology is changing. Right. So it's a, it's a very controversial, I would say one of the most um, challenging and controversial decisions among PB&F yeah. is the prayer book about the money and is that the best way to use the church's resources? I mean, it's a good stewardship, given the so many limitations and so many requests. And what I didn't mention was when we came to General Convention, there were about 200 resolutions. But since we've been at convention, that's jumped to almost 500. Mm. So the requests for money supersede the resources on which we're working with. Right. I, I don't know what this would be based on, but someone I heard if we were to grant these 500 or these mm-hmm. this significant, is we're talking about a 16 million dollars over what our current budget would actually allow for, um, and so it falls to the work of PBNF to make some hard decisions over right. the next few days. Or snap or us into actually, reality. Snap us into reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not even the next few days, actually, the next few hours. Yeah, by 12 noon. By 12 noon. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And so you guys are working all night tonight. No, we're done for tonight. But we did add, thanks to you um, and your local connections, that we did add an extra session this evening. And we will... Possibly, we are anticipating working through the joint session tomorrow, which means we won't be on the floor um, for the joint session on the care of creation unless we can figure this out. But given some of the challenges, particularly with the prayer book and some other um, 
and I wouldn't say controversial, but very debatable. And one thing that I can, I have a large appreciation for being on this committee, but also being on the floor, is that there are a lot of people who are committed and are passionate to um, humanity and moving things forward. And we are very deliberate in our thinking, um, in our dialogue, and our respect for one another. And as a result of that, it does have a tendency to not only to speak, but to be heard and to be open-minded. That kind of increases the time in the process. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, I don't think no. so. No, no. But quite... it doesn't bring money. Yeah. I mean, it brings, <laughs> it brings thought. It, 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 it shows um, our humanity. I mean, but it doesn't necessarily produce the finances. And so I, I have a clarifying question that you, you, you mentioned very briefly, the makeup of PBNF. You said it's 10 bishops, 10 clergy, 10 lay? That was a rough estimate, but it's very split. It, oh, it is. If I so, had to so pull out the chart, it probably would be that. So, there's, so essentially then two-thirds ordained and just one-third lay. Yes, I, I would say that's pretty much accurate. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make sure I heard that right. Yeah. yeah. But keep in mind, you've got the House of Bishops, so they're represented by mm -hmm. a third. And then you have the House of Deputies, which includes the lay and um, clergy, which is the other kind of makeup of that committee. Okay. Mm -hmm. that's, that's interesting. Um, this is a really insider baseball question. Okay. Um, uh, so in 2012... Mm -hmm. The Episcopal Church chose to, well, actually it was PBNF, I believe, chose to structure its uh, the proposed budget in uh, in the form of the Anglican Communion's five marks of mission. Okay. And this was certainly in response to the call of the presiding bishop, then Bishop Catherine, uh, to, um, well, focus on mission in, in every single aspect of our of our collective and life. Um, We can look up the five marks of mission. We won't necessarily to go through. But my sense from uh, what we were just discussing a little bit before the before this um, was that that's about to change. Um, it has changed, um, and it's changed with the new presiding bishop, because with the new presiding bishop, and and a lot of this was discussed in executive council. So I have that benefit of, of having this information. Is the presiding bishop? along with the election of the presiding bishop, Michael Curry, came the Jesus Movement. Okay. And within the Jesus Movement, there are three pillars. And now the budget is structured in those three pillars. Ah. And those three pillars represent evangelism, racial reconciliation, and care for creation. Okay. So now the budget is divided into those three areas. So and there's intersectionality, of course, right. with... The three. And is it your sense that those will be the three pillars going forward into this new uh, version, which you'll be turning in at 12? <laughs> Definitely. It's, uh, That's certainly true. because we're still with the same presiding bishop. So okay. I think that as leadership changes, the focus may also change with that leadership. Mm -hmm. And in all fairness, um, 
that three years of developing under the new presiding bishop, it takes time to kind of get programming in place, mm-hmm. to revision um, the church and take in consideration how society is also moving. It's a very interesting time to be in church leadership in this country. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's particularly to be uh, speaking about racial reconciliation, issues of racial justice, care of creation, mm-hmm. and even making a commitment to being the good news. Yeah. Um, yesterday's podcast, we talked about, you know, showing up in, at the Hatu Detention Center as a form yeah. of sharing good news and also racial justice uh, issues. Indeed. And our religion, and right now in this country, in many cases, religion is being hijacked to justify injustices towards humanity. Um, And I'll let that go. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to evangelize about the real message. That's right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and watching that happen saddens saddens me as, as someone who grew up born in born and raised in the Episcopal Church and and uh, that's the only church I know and just to watch religion to be hijacked. That's right. That, that's the best that's word right. for it. But when we walk through the walk through the hallways of this convention center, this is the real deal. Yeah. This is what this is what it's about, not what's being said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well let's um Let's end our conversation. Uh, I'd like to end our, our conversation just by asking each of you to share um, your broche de oro or your last little bit. Um, and uh, it's something that you'd like to, that you saw or experienced today that you want to make sure others note or that doesn't get lost. So starting out with you, Scott. Um, so I watched two volunteers today. Um, who did not know each other, had not met before today. Um, they both attended Syracuse University. They both served in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I watched them form a friendship and a bomb and a bond about their experiences in Vietnam and at Syracuse. And they were at Syracuse around the same time. I think they overlapped two years. So they were there together mm. at the same time, but didn't know each other, had never met each other, lived literally 30 miles apart, and both have all these shared experiences in Vietnam and at Syracuse, and watching them connect and tell stories um, for a majority of the morning this morning just was wonderful and they walked away with new friendship they, when they realized they only lived 30, 30 miles apart they exchanged phone numbers and were like wow. they have yeah. made plans they've already by the time they left they made plans to meet up with each other with their wives and just watch these two men just meet each other and it was beautiful it was beautiful yeah. and that to me to me, that's a lot of what General Convention is about. It's about a big family reunion, mm-hmm. about family that you don't even know you have, yeah. that you're connected to, and just watching those connections happen. And it's just beautiful to watch. I, I see that. I get to see it every day. I'm so thankful that I get to see it every day. Mm. Thank you. 
Yeah, I love that you talked about connections. So, I mean, the one thing I would leave people with, I mean, I guess being on PB&F, it's, it's, it is a big responsibility in the fact that you know that someone is going to be disappointed. Yes. Yeah. That despite that our belief in God and our and our, our Christian narrative and our living into our baptismal covenant brings us here and we have goals and aspirations behind that, we're not going to be able to fully fund um, all of the things and the passion and the ways that people want to live out their ministry. But Still, this church, what brought us here, even though some may leave a little disappointed, what brought us here is exactly what the presiding bishop says. It is the love and the liberating and the life-giving feel of our faith. And in this church, and it's a beautiful thing to see people you haven't seen in years and to know that we're all connected in this way as we walk um, in such this large convention center. So I feel, and I found out, being on PB&F, I found out that we actually rented out the entire convention center. This Mm -hmm. is only the Episcopal Church Mm -hmm. that's in the center right now, and that's not always been the case. Um, So I leave saying that I am nurtured and I'm fulfilled And if I'm disappointed by anything that happens or doesn't happen on the floor, I still know that I'm among friends in this faith. Because my faith is loving, liberating, and life-giving in this church. Amen. Amen. I also want to continue this uh, point about connections it is oftentimes said that um, you know, John Convention is, is in many ways a family reunion. Uh, mind you, there's a lot of legislation that happens in this family reunion. <laughs> yes, and yes. passing. <laughs> um, Indeed. But this being my fourth, I, I will say I, it, there have been moments, including a dinner tonight, um, just a few friends, uh, women now, and it was, um, we were all people of color, all working really hard in the church and it was just like being able to kind of breathe mm. <laughs> yes. and just talk about what we were seeing, what we were experiencing what we were hearing and re- some real pastoral counseling you know, mm. took place uh, in, at that dinner about um, just continuing to do the work that uh, God uh, Jesus and Michael Curry Indeed, yes. <laughs> has called us all to do. And it was just uh, an incredibly moving uh, meal and mm-hmm. part of why I, I'm always excited to come to General Convention. Um, and then uh, this is, I guess, a second one. Um, I do... I do take, as a lay person, a lay leader in the church, I, I do take some special delight 
in the fact that this is uh, unwittingly, I didn't intend this, the second episode uh, now in a row in which all three people uh, on the call uh, or on this episode have been uh, lay people. And I think it's a testament, again, to the fact that we do have a church that has bishops, uh, that has clergy, and also incredible lay people. Absolutely. Incredible lay people. I I feel blessed to be, um, I'm going to brag on my diocese a little bit. (laughs) I feel blessed to be in a diocese where the bishops encourage that kind of strong strong lay leadership. They want things to come from the laity, not necessarily from the clergy. And, and I value and I love and respect them for that. And uh, there are so many, my own parish included, there's so many parishes in the Diocese of Texas that are doing missional work because a, a, a lay person wanted to do it right. and organized around it and drugged the had to drag the clergy along. Right. And so, I, you know, I love that we are in a, I love that I am a part of a diocese that does that because I recognize that not all dioceses are, are like that. Yeah. And, and I recognize that. And I feel blessed to be in a diocese where a strong lay leader, strong lay leadership is not only sought out, but encouraged and nurtured and lifted up. Um, everyone uh, on the diocesan host committee is a is a layperson. There are no clergy people. Oh wow! On the host committee, there's zero diocesan staff. Uh, we are all volunteers. We are all lay people um, on the diocesan oh, host okay. committee, and that was done intentionally. Our bishops intentionally wanted this to be a lay led event. Wow! And they did that and. I think it's a testament to their leadership and their belief in the laity. Thank you. Yeah. yeah it's a gift to the church. Entire. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Well, thank you both. Oh. And I hope we'll thank you. have thank you. more conversations. Thank you. This yeah. is for all the work you do. Oh, thank you. You're yeah. amazing. <laughs> yes. Great.